3: Is Bo Scarborough worth targeting? Josh Allen and John Brown have a day, and David Johnson is frustrating fantasy owners. We are talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. This podcast is brought to you by Untuck It and my Bookie. Before we get into today's show, I want to remind everybody that you can support all of the terrific Rotoviz podcasts on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz Radio. You can still get in on that Slack channel. Make use of a 10% off discount via the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast, and make sure that you seal the deal as we close out the season. Mr. Friedman, what's going on, man?
1: Not much. Um, you know, nice nice little weekend. Didn't do uh, all that well on prop betting. Uh but, you know, did OK on picking sides and totals. So, you know, still a a, a decent week overall. And I, I thought it was a pretty fun week of like actual football, too.
3: Yeah, it was. And I actually do not know what's going on in the Monday night game, which uh, obviously we're recording as that's going on. But I think that that will be fun, even if it's not a close game. Um. So, yeah, an, an, a solid week of action. Let's just start off with what might be a pressing question for some people. We have former Alabama running back Bo Scarborough rushing for a team-high 14 Lions rushing attempts. Only 55 yards, but he did score a touchdown. The obvious question here is, can Scarborough make a significant difference for fantasy teams as we approach the end of the season?
1: Uh, man, I don't know. Maybe. Like, he's like the classic like zero RB who comes from nowhere. Um, but like people do know who he is because he played at Alabama um, was drafted last year and did like, you know, absolutely nothing in the league. Uh, I didn't really even know that he was like f- still floating around, I guess on a practice squad. And then was just signed this last week. And then, you know, randomly ends up leading the team and in- in carries. Um, I think the fact that they don't seem, they being the lions don't seem to be sold on Ty Johnson or DJ McKissick, uh, give some credence to the idea that Bo Scarborough could be the guy because it, it seems like they're wanting to give opportunities to someone. And last week it was Scarborough and he seemed to make the most of that chance. So, uh, you know, saw 49% of the offensive snaps. Maybe he can keep that going. Um, I think if you are desperate at this point, then you are probably still looking to spend, uh, you know, fab money and maybe you spend that on him, but you probably don't have much money because you probably spent it all on Brian Hill last week. So, you know, like maybe you, uh, you can add him if you can. Sure. Um, if you're desperate enough to start him, I I mean, I guess go for it, but, uh, you know, so, so much is unknown with this situation and Detroit isn't really all that good of a running team anyway. So like, I wouldn't want to have to rely on him, but, uh I mean could we see him have you know like 500 600 yards over the rest of the season like yeah that's possible
3: Yeah so just to give everybody a quick background on the type of player that Scarborough is uh weighs well, 228 so he is a pretty big guy we're in a 5 240 shuttle time was 434 did not run the 3 cone broad jump of 129 bench press 14 vertical 40 inches went in the seventh round at pick 236 and in the box score scout uh sim search he's compared to players like spencer ware chris carson jordan wilkins jonathan williams mike james alfred blue that type of player
1: yeah he's he's poor man's derrick henry
3: yeah yeah i mean not quite as big i don't think but i think that's a fair comparison to draw
1: Yeah, I mean, not as big, not as athletic, not as productive in college, wasn't drafted as highly, but like that's the type of runner that he is.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind here is I don't think that in that Lions offense, you're going to see. A running back that gets inserted at this point particularly scarborough be the type of guy that's going to be scoring 20 points a game for you but 10 is realistic and like matt said i think at this point in the season there's going to be a few players that if you're really looking to fill that running spot that are going to become available so I'm, i think i'm fine with people spending a fair amount of fab money to go out and acquire him
1: i mean one of the biggest things is this is a back in a ryan driscoll led offense so yep. you shouldn't be all that enthusiastic
3: yeah, definitely not. I-, I think though that it's worth mentioning um Darius Geis, who we saw have a forty-five yard receiving touchdown yesterday for the Redskins, just seven carries, average three point four, which is better than Adrian Peterson at two point eight. Is Darius Geis a better option than Boscaro? Uh
1: <laughs> man, probably not. Um, just because I think Adrian Peterson is still going to see at least 10 carries per game. Um, and uh, I mean, guys, he got his production really on only on one reception. And like we cannot count on that moving forward. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd probably go with Scarborough, even though like I think Geiss is the better player.
3: Yeah, I think that I agree with you. I mean, obviously, you're looking at um a pretty large gap in what the teams might perceive of these players. But like you said, Geis is going to be competing with Adrian Peterson, who has been pretty good this season. Guys hasn't had a chance to really prove himself game over game. Um and like you said, though I do think he's explosive, a lot of what we saw from him yesterday came on a single play. Hey, and sorry. I'm
1: going to derail us Matt Kelly okay. style. Random yep. question. Yep. Uh I think a lot of what has happened with the Vikings this season is based on uh, improvements they've made to their offensive line and then improvements they've made in their scheme with the addition of Gary Kubiak as an advisor. So with that kind of laid out as the groundwork, what do you think Adrian Peterson would do if he were with the Vikings this year as their lead back?
3: Wow. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that one could reasonably estimate that he maybe achieves about 85% of the production of Dalvin Cook, definitely in the running game, maybe even 90, 92, 95. You know, the passing um, aspect, I don't think we could see quite as much production from Cook, but I do think that if Peterson's on the Vikings, you re- very realistically could be looking at a top 12 fantasy back.
1: Yeah, I mean, i, I think, um, I think those numbers are optimistic. But I still think that uh, like the spirit of your answer is correct. Like, I think he would he would maybe like 80 percent of Dalvin Cook rushing and then maybe like 60 percent, even 60 percent as a receiver sounds high, because I think they would probably have someone who would play more of like a receiving back role. But yeah, like like I think he would at the end of the season, he would probably have twelve hundred yards. Like, maybe, maybe even a little bit more if he's able to stay healthy, which is a big, you know, conditional there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm amazed at what Peterson did last year. I don't think he's really looked all that great this year, but I'm still amazed by what he's been able to do. And if he were playing on a team that were, uh, you know, at least like semi competent, Um, yeah, I mean, I think he would be another thousand yard rusher, which is just, I mean, that's kind of unfathomable to think of, but I think that's true.
3: Well, the other thing to keep in mind too, with Peterson is there's really not much of a reason to think that he couldn't shoulder a workload of 15, 16, 17 carries a game, which in the context of the Vikings offense is going to net you a really nice stat line at the end of the season. I mean, in a offense like Washington's, which is certainly not optimal, we've are, you know, produce and exceed my expectations for sure so it, it's definitely definitely been impressive
1: yeah all right sorry
3: continue that's fine so my ultimate point with Geis was um I think we were just circling back around to the fact that um if Peterson's there it's not a good offense there's only so much room for Geis and well it's possible that you see those explosive plays on a weekly basis um If you're looking for sustained production, I think you go for Scarborough, understanding that it's certainly far away from a slam dunk. Yeah. The other thing that I do want to talk about uh, for those of you that watch any of this Washington, uh, New York Jets game Sam Darnold with four touchdown passes. Ryan Griffin leads the charge with five wrecks, 109 yards. And I bring this up because Chris Herndon will not be coming back. He's on IR. And as I wrote about recently, The Jets have the most favorable Titans schedule to close out the season. Some good matchups in the fantasy final. So I just wanted to mention Ryan Griffin, who has been pretty good over the uh, last maybe five or six games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know um, because I don't actually listen to the, the uh, Fantasy Flex podcast on uh, the Action Network, like once it's published, <laughs> like I don't listen to it because I was on the show, you know, what right, I mean? like right. sometimes I listen to parts of it just to see what was kept and what wasn't. But so anyway, I haven't listened to last week's episode uh, with Matt Kelly, so I don't know if this part actually made the show, but like we were on a, uh, a schedule and we were getting very close to the deadline and I was about to wrap it up and Matt Kelly was like, let's talk about ryan griffin and i'm like no i don't want to talk about ryan griffin i just want to get off of the show uh and i and and so like he took that as like me saying like no i don't want to talk about ryan griffin because he sucks so when ryan griffin went off i was just like great now matt kelly's going to be all up on social media talking about this and sure enough he sent a Top Gun gif. Anyway, uh, so I feel like I'm I'm saying that to set up what I'm about to say, which is um, I actually like I liked Ryan Kelly. Uh, sorry, Ryan. I said Ryan Kelly. Uh, Ryan He's in Griffin, your head, man. Yeah. Uh, I liked Ryan Griffin early on in his career as like a potential Gronk uh, type of player because he uh, had so many touchdowns. Let me rephrase that. He had a high market share of touchdowns. Uh, in college, especially his senior season, like sixty percent, like he was like their their pass catching touchdown offense. Um, but you know we haven't seen anything from him to date in his NFL career. And like I think he's like thirty, like he's old. But sometimes these older guys, you know, just takes them a long time. And you'll have these random guys who are old who break out. That might be what we see out of Ryan Griffin, as you said. Like his upcoming schedule is pretty decent.
3: Yeah, did Ryan Griffin go to Yukon? Yep. Okay, I could not recall. Yeah, um, I don't really have anything to expound upon there with him having gone to UConn. But anyways, yeah, I think. That I mean, w- all the
1: greats go to UConn.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. Dan Orlovsky, I can name. Can you name any other players out of UConn that are in uh, the league currently? Or Orlovsky well, isn't. But. I
1: mean, uh, not in the league, but uh, Jordan Todman, of course. Oh yes, <laughs> how could, how can I forget? <laughs> I mean, love Jordan Todman.
3: Uh, I'm w- once this show is done, I'm definitely popping onto the road of research and looking up Friedman, Jordan Todman seeing if I get anything.
1: Uh, I think I probably wrote some articles. I mean, I, I thought he had a real chance to break out and uh, he did have some great games uh, in the preseason for people who were into preseason DFS like five years ago. All right. Well, I will be
3: on the lookout for that. But first, we are going to take a quick minute to give you some very important holiday information from one of our sponsors. The holidays are almost here. And you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift to give to yourself even than a stylish shirt that just fits perfectly unlike most brands Untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked if you've seen somebody rocking an untucked button down you know that they just look bad that is because the shirt was not designed to be worn that way they're anticipating that you're going to tuck but you want to go untucked it's the right way to do it and thankfully there's untuck it the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked No matter your size or your shape, untucked shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift to give your dad, a friend or yourself even who needs an upgrade in the shirt department, an untucked shirt. It is the gift to go to. I get frustrated when I'm going out looking for shirts. I can never find anything that fits me. But with Untuck it, I can customize the shirt to my exact dimensions. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck it shirts look great on me. They'll look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You have to love all of the material, design, and color options. This really is a Primo custom product. You can find your favorite untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button downs, super sloth, Flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. And they have a page devoted to helping you find your fit, making that process simple and quick. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE. For 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code blue for 20% off. Okay, Matt, last week we said we were going to do it. We are going to regroup on Kyler Murray to set the stage. 55% of his performances have been QB1 performances, and I'm going to read off his finishes. In terms of point totals, really only two duds so far 24.7, 19.8, 19.5, 18.8, 28, 32.2, 8, 12.3, 25.5, 30, and 28.2. I'm going to give it to us on this one. I think that Murray has panned out for the people that invested in him.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we're getting a quarterback who right now is, I believe, like number 10 in fantasy scoring points yep. per game like in that neighborhood, Um, I think he will do even better moving forward. Uh, In his two games against the San Francisco uh, Giants, not the San Francisco Giants, I am way off. In his two games with the San Francisco 49ers. Dude, are you uh, like doing baseball projections over there? Like what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm off. Uh, So uh, two games against the 49ers. He was a QB one in fantasy both times. And I think the 49ers, if If the Patriots don't have the best uh, trio of cornerbacks in the league, like right now the 49ers do, um, or maybe the Ravens, um, but that's like a relatively new thing. But the the 49ers have a very good, consistently good uh, pass defense. And for him to, uh, you know, in the span of three weeks, have two very good games against them is really promising. Um, And again, I still think like this offense could be better. Like he could still be playing better. The offense could be schemed better. He could have better receivers out there on the field for him more often. Um, I think everything is pointing up for him.
3: Yeah, it definitely is. And the play volume has been there, even though it looks like that might not be the case early on because he does rank third in attempts, which has allowed him to be two in completions. Completion percentage is only ranked 20, but he's nine in pass yards, 16 in passing touchdowns. The rush yards, which we were hoping for, have been there. Only Lamar Jackson has more, and uh yeah, and what I'm looking at, he ranks tenth in PPR per game,
1: so yeah, I, mean, I think only only Lamar Jackson just to foreshadow,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, we will have our obligatory Lamar Jackson segment, which Matt uh via a bit of a loophole, makes sure that gets included um another player though that you're into, uh Matt, your boy John Brown, big game on Sunday, Josh Allen. Uh, had the most points of any player over the weekend. He now ranks eighth, actually, in PPR per game. Had three touchdowns, one rushing, two of those passing touchdowns went to John Brown, who had 137 receiving yards. Now, the strange thing about John Brown, three wide receiver one finishes in 2019, no wide receiver two finishes. So he actually has been as much of a boomer bust type of player as advertised.
1: Yeah, and I'm imagining he has three games this year with touchdowns. I'm imagining that his three wide receiver one finishes uh, have been those three games. And then otherwise, uh, he's been, as you mentioned, like a um, like a quote unquote bust, but he's actually been like a relatively high floor player, like a high floor bust. Like he has at least 50 receiving yards in each game this year for a guy who entered the season as a really volatile player that is a really high floor um you know especially considering that he uh hasn't really been all that productive since 2015 so he's now pacing for 1300 receiving yards which like that's that's pretty significant um i don't know if he's going to get there because he doesn't get to play the dolphins anymore <laughs> so like that's you know and he has like a tough uh a tough road ahead uh against denver against dallas against baltimore those are his three next matchups, really tough matchups, but um I think easily he's going to clear the thousand yard mark. And, you know, like if I told you at the beginning of the season or before the season started when you could draft him, like, Hey, you have a chance to get uh, a thousand yards from John Brown plus like five or six touchdowns. What do you think about that? Like you would, you would take that on your team because like he was being drafted far lower than that.
3: Yeah, for sure. So he's been one of those, um, Players that if you manage to just kind of add on to your roster, you could have gotten a couple big games from. And like you said, I think the the most interesting part has been the uh, the floor, which is he's actually been able to be somewhat useful. Uh, do you think that this has anything to do with Josh Allen, or is it the scheme there in Buffalo? Yeah, I don't.
1: I mean, I think it's just that he is clearly the main guy. Like he's getting eight and a half targets per game. That is a really good number for a guy like John Brown. Um, normally, like I think that John Brown would be like a number two receiver in an offense. Like most teams would want him in that capacity, but uh, he's I think you know like a number two who gets to play the number one role. So it's uh, it's sort of perfect for him. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's if it's Josh Allen, what it is with the offense, but you know he's playing at uh, his most efficient clip. Uh, of his career. You know, he has a 65.9% catch rate this year. Um, In Arizona, uh, you know, for comparison, uh, he was at 52.3. So like he's, he's being incredibly efficient. Um, And uh, in terms of yards per target, 9.6, like that's a really good number too. Uh, He's just, I I don't know exactly what it is, but um, whether it's like he has a good connection with Josh Allen, like, I think that's part of it, because if you look at Allen's splits, um, he has you know a good completion percentage throwing to Brown and a not as good completion percentage throwing to everyone else. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, I think it's, it's here to stay because of the target volume, like 8.5 targets per game. That's pretty significant.
3: The interesting thing about that, too, is you would expect that with the type of passes that you'd want to target John Brown on, you're completion percentage would actually be lower on those targets because they would be more downfield. So actually if you pull up um a chart of the pass locations going to Brown, you know, most of them are at least in the middle of the field or deeper. So that that's an impressive uh impressive number to to consider.
1: Yeah. Nick I mean, Foles, I think I think part oh, of it, ahead. sorry, one more. I think part of it is yep. that Brown is very good at creating separation. Uh and so even though Allen isn't all that accurate of a passer when he's throwing to Brown and Brown is fairly wide open, it's much easier to complete passes.
3: Yeah, that's certainly fair. Um Yep, any chance you get to uh talk about J- uh John Brown you'll take. Yep. I mentioned um actually you know you mentioned the Vikings earlier. Diggs and Kyle Rudolph have really turned things around. Now, I bring them up to bring up Juju Smith-Schuster because one of the most popular Titles of a show that we've had that I received messages from people on were, or was, Diggs, Thielen, Juju, and Henry the Cat are ruining things. Boy, things have really gotten more and more lost for Juju with the concussion in that game against Cleveland. It's unclear if he's going to be able to return on Sunday. We've brought up him a couple of times. I think we can say that things wouldn't have been this bad if there were Ben Roethlisberger. Berger. Um, in terms of his long-term value right from a dynasty perspective just in the production that we can expect if Roethlisberger is back next year what type of se- like do you write this year off does this year concern you like how will you be factoring that into your view of Juju in 2020
1: uh, I still want him anywhere I can acquire him um, you know I think People, I mean, they remember, but they kind of forget that DeAndre Hopkins had that one dark year in 2016. You know, he had like a 1200 yard season, then a 1500 yard season, and then only 954 yards and four touchdowns. Um, Even though he was still targeted pretty heavily, um, it was just playing in a, you know, across the board subpar situation. Um, I think that's what this is. Like, this is the buying opportunity for Juju. The thing is, I think everyone knows that. Like maybe you're in a league with someone who just really isn't all that into it, uh, you know. Maybe doesn't, I don't know. Maybe like looks at things on a very superficial level, and that person just happens to have juju. If that's the case, then you obviously try to trade for him and, and buy him low. But I think everyone who has him probably still is sold on him enough to where they don't want to sell low on him. So I I still think it will be hard to acquire him in dynasty.
3: Yeah, because, I mean, really, at this point in his career, there's two ways that people have him. One, they would have drafted him, at which point they're like, oh my God, you know, uh, they're now attached to him because they made a great draft pick. Or two, they had to go fairly aggressively to acquire him. So, yeah, the price tag is is definitely going to be high. It's hard not to be a little bit rattled by this year, but I think the Hopkins example is a good one. And a player with the potential like he has... I just don't think it would make sense to give up on this prematurely. I definitely wait and see what happens next year. You know, maybe we won't be positing him or positioning him as the wide receiver one, but it's still very possible. I'm
1: back to wide receiver one next year.
3: Back to wide? (laughs) Okay.
1: No, absolutely not. But uh, I'm still very bullish on him.
3: Yep. Nick Foles, first game back. DJ Chark in that game, eight wrecks on 15 targets and two touchdowns. That has to be encouraging for DJ Chark owners. Also, Chris Conley uh, was the number two on the team with eight targets.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, what's really encouraging is the 15 targets. I mean, like the eight receptions, the two touchdowns, the yardage, that's nice. But the 15 targets like that is He's obviously not going to get 15 targets each week, but, um, I do think it's reasonable to assume that he will be the number one wide receiver going forward. And, uh, we've at least seen that, um, he and Foles have enough chemistry or, you know, just kind of regardless of whoever is the quarterback, he on his own is talented enough to be able to do whatever he needs to do as long as he gets his target volume.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely encouraging. Um, Well, we are coming to the spot where you will get to talk about Lamar Jackson, because that is the Ravens ultimately just destroyed the Texans over the weekend. We briefly talked about this before we started recording. Did you see this coming?
1: Uh, I'm okay. So no, not to this extent, but uh, I am just really impressed with this Ravens team and their defense. Like what is really changing it for me is that the defense is coming together Uh, with Jimmy Smith back with the addition of Marcus Peters as the other outside cornerback and then moving Marlon Humphrey into the slot. Like they just, they have a really strong trio of starting cornerbacks now. Um, And with those three, they can really dictate um, a lot of what the opposing offense is able to do um, because they are, it's kind of like a a Patriot style type of thing now with what they're doing where, um, they're, I mean, they're not playing, um, like shadow man where they're just matching up guys and then moving them around the formation. But those three guys are really locking down their receivers. So that means that the Ravens are able to bring up uh safety help and, uh, and, and do a lot more in terms of like rushing the passer and playing to stop the run and things like that. So their defense, uh, has really amplified what they're doing and, uh, that makes it easier for them on the offensive side of the ball to run, which I think normally is a bad thing, but Lamar Jackson running the ball is almost as good as any other quarterback throwing the ball. Like that's just how good he (laughs) is as a, I know that sounds into like counterintuitive, but like if you look at how many yards he's getting per carry and like how productive he is like on a success rate basis, running the ball Um, and, and the Ravens as a team, like, it's just, they are so inventive with what they're doing to where like they're, they're just dictating whatever they want to do basically on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I, I, I said on Twitter earlier today that, um, I, that Russell Wilson, like given that the, I know I'm kind of changing gears here a little bit, but given that That's Russell fine. Wilson and the Seahawks are, they, they started as two and a half point dogs this week to the Eagles, like uh I know this sounds kind of backwards but like I don't see how Russell Wilson wins the MVP award. Like uh Lamar Jackson I I think is going to win it. And like I I'm writing a piece on it now. It'll probably be out by the time that this podcast is posted on why I think Lamar Jackson is going to win instead of Russell Wilson. Um kind of long story short, uh if your if your team is getting disrespected to the point that you are a two and a half road dog against a five and five team. People do not think that your team is good enough to go far into the playoffs. And if they don't think that you are not winning the MVP award, uh, that's like a big part of the the thesis there. But anyway, long, long way of saying um, put money in Lamar Jackson MVP props. Um, I think he's, I think he's really going to win the MVP because he has the narrative part of it. Like, the MVP, like once you hit a certain, um, statistical threshold, uh, it's basically a narrative award. Um, and Lamar Jackson is the story of 2019. Um, so, you know, I think put money in it now, uh, the odds are almost certain to get worse. Like every time he gets a win, the odds just go more in his favor. And this is a team that looks like it's just going to continue to win.
3: I cannot refute any of that, really. I think that uh, the key piece of your thesis certainly makes sense in relation to the MVP candidacy of each player and also um – being able to point to not only the passing stats, which have been impressive, but the rushing stats just is like another layer of why it's so much easier to create that narrative uh, for Jackson than when compared to Wilson. One thing I did want to ask you about, though. So you reference success rate. Are we talking about the same things if I say that success rate is the yards achieved dependent upon the down over certain thresholds? Yes. Okay. Um, for those of you out there not familiar with this, uh, Matt, do you want to explain? You want me to?
1: Yeah. So for each down, um, if whether it's first down or second down or third down, there are a certain number of yards that you need to uh, have a decent chance of keeping your drive alive. Uh, so I believe if it's first down, you need to get four or more yards in order for that play to be successful. And then if it's second down, you need to get uh, three or more or something like that. I'm, I'm sure I'm screwing up something uh, along these lines and Dave can tell you what it is. But um, the, the big idea is that uh, what isn't necessarily important is on a per play basis, how many yards you're getting, but it's uh, how successfully each play enables you to keep your drive moving forward so that you can eventually score points.
3: Yeah, no, I think that covers it um, well enough without getting pedantic. Um, but that's some, something we normally wouldn't bring up because I, you know, like from a fantasy point perspective, that's not really going to factor in too much. But when we start having the conversation about actual performance on the field, I do think it's something worthwhile to look at.
1: With and and that I should in mind, say, actually, I, I think it is relevant to fantasy, not okay. necessarily for quarterbacks, yep. but for running backs, like for judging running back skill. Or maybe the skill is the wrong word, but like a guy's utility within his offense. Um, success rate is I think more predictive of what a guy is going to do moving forward than his yards per carry.
3: Yeah, I could grant you, I could definitely grant you that one. Then we get into a rabbit hole though, of like trying to adjust for formation and players sure, being yeah. used and different. So there's certainly a rabbit hole there. But yeah, I think in that context, it's fair. Uh, I do want to mention to everybody out there, though, that uh, past, present, and future my bookie players, you need to listen to this because for this week only, and I want your attention here, this week only, my bookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250 if you win. Congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting to sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is if you join now, you still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code RotoViz. And MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat here. That's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. So if you're a true football fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie.
1: You play, you win, you get paid uh Dave to jump in there just as a point of order uh the Bears Lions game I know they said it's for this week only but that game is uh next week for Thanksgiving that's uh the early Thanksgiving day game so uh it extends into next week
3: okay that is a very good thing to uh to bring up here I actually have not looked uh heavily into the slate of games for Thanksgiving which normally uh I focus on that like just from a watching perspective what are the other games you know off the top of your head
1: yes I do um it's Bills Cowboys is the second game uh Cowboys obviously hosting yeah they should crush the Bills hopefully uh and then the Saints visiting the Falcons so I think that will be a, a pretty good game
3: yeah that's a pretty fun slate of games um Moving along, Jonathan Williams for the Colts, 13 carries, 116 yards. No touchdowns, though, in a game in which Indy scored four. Of course, Marlon Mack also rushed 14 times for 109 yards. Any reason for people out there to be excited about Williams?
1: Yeah, I think so, um, because Marlon Mack uh, looks like broken wrist or broken hand situation is going to be out for a while. Uh, the one thing that would give people pause is Jordan Wilkins was out, I would assume that once he is back, he is the lead back, but because Jonathan Williams played so well, they might go with him. So, uh, I don't know. It's a weird situation because I think like offensively, it would be better to have the running back there as opposed to the running back in Detroit. But, um, because uh, there's like not a, ne- a Naheem Hines, there's not a Jordan Wilkins in Detroit. There's maybe more of a possibility for Bar- uh, for Bo Scarborough to establish himself there. Whereas I still think. In a best-case situation, Williams would be splitting carries with Wilkins. I I might be wrong, though. So, like, I think you kind of have to decide what it is you want to target. Do you want to target the guy that you think has the better chance of getting more volume or target the guy who is in the better offense and hope that he can actually get the volume?
3: Yeah, that's probably a, a fair way to frame it. Another backfield worth talking about, the Eagles. Boston Scott saw seven attempts. Miles Sanders saw 11 I think this is worth bringing up again because it does seem, and I know that Philly has a proclivity, if you will, for using multiple backs. Also, it's too bad to see Darren Sproles out and maybe uh, having played his last game. <laughs> yeah. but, but why don't RIP he...
1: our, uh, our Darren Sproles investment.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that did—panned uh, out kind of for one week. But what, what what is the deal here? Like, why won't the Eagles just let Miles Sanders run away with things?
1: I have no idea. Uh, I mean, really, maybe they like Boston Scott more than people think they should. Uh, you know, maybe Sanders just isn't getting it done in practice or whatever. Or maybe they just really want to be like a, a two to three backfield committee so that they can try to keep their guys um, their guys healthy. I don't know. I really don't know.
3: It's frustrating as a fantasy owner of Sanders and also somebody that wanted him to, to have a, a good career, I think, though, the key thing here is as we extend into next season, I don't think anybody's going to be writing off Sanders. Uh, but if you look at a player like him, you know, it's funny how people wanted to keep pushing for Ronald Jones this year, and there's been <laughs> very mixed results on that. Like, I wonder going into next year where, pe- where people are going to put Sanders, like, how much of a downward correction they're going to have for him.
1: Mm, that's a good that's a good question I think a little bit of it is going to be correlated with draft position this year so uh, I think people kind of bid him up enough this year to where he's been fairly disappointing uh, and that that could impact where he goes next year whereas like with Ronald Jones um, he wasn't as hyped as Miles Sanders was Um, and so I think it's a little bit easier to kind of be forgiving of what he did last year. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm still, I'm still interested in him long-term. Like I, I still would want to get him. And if like, if you could trade for him in dynasty, like I would, I would do that.
3: Yeah. I think I'm on board with that as well, because it was such an impressive profile. Granted, as we talked about many times, the college profile was, unable to be super impressive because of the fact that he was behind Saquon Barkley for so long When his chance he was awesome but athletically very good player um, so I will be still probably trying to trade for Sanders in the offseason as I didn't get him on too many teams the situation isn't my favorite but uh, as we've talked about sometimes if you really think a player has enough talent you, you just need to ride it out for a couple of years The 49ers backfield, a very confusing one. Tevin Coleman will have a big week and then just completely disappears. Raheem Mostert, same thing, did nothing over the weekend. Matt Breida, struggling with some health issues. Do you have any insight for me on what to do with these 49ers running backs?
1: No. I mean, Tevin Coleman, um, I think it's a situation where it just kind of didn't work out. and There are these random games sometimes like that, but uh, I mean, I think... If you have him, you still roll with him uh, in DFS. I think he's always interesting. Uh, Green Bay hasn't been all that good against running backs this year. So uh, I think in week 12, it's still a pretty decent situation for him. So the, the funny
3: thing is, too, and I'm looking at the freshly produced GLSP projections for the coming week and Tevin Coleman ranks one, two, three, four, five. Uh, for running backs this week against against Green Bay. So it's digging him for this week. So we'll see if maybe he can bounce back. Does have a very wide range of outcomes, though, as one might expect. Um, Before we close out, and this was not on the show sheet, Matt, Kenyon Drake, we probably should mention. um, How confident at this point are you about using him on a week-to-week basis, given the fact that it seems like David Johnson, it's very hard to discern what's going on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it that hard to discern what's going on? Like he's just he's not getting used anymore. Um
3: is he hurt? I guess that's the I mean,
1: how I hurt mean he's, is he? I don't I don't think he's fully healthy, but I think he's healthy enough to play if they needed him. Yep. I think he's just zapped. Like his uh his mojo is gone, Austin Power style. Um oh God. So you know, like I just he has he has no lateral agility. Um, he has no explosiveness. So it's like, what, what is he at this point? Um, he's basically like a thickly built wide receiver who's playing running back. So, um, yeah, I I think he's going to continue to see usage similar to what he had last week, which was like eight snaps and no opportunities. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think you roll with Kenyon Drake. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think he's he's their lead back moving forward. This is uh
3: devastating on multiple levels. Not only uh, for those of us that own David Johnson, but also now the only way that uh, David Johnson can can spring back to life here is if Heather Graham uh proceeds to have intercourse with Fat Bastard and try to pull uh some mojo out of his out of his ass. As I believe what the scenario in the movie was.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you, you really must have uh, enjoyed that scene because you recall it with much more vividness than I can muster.
3: Well, I'll tell you something. I was in sixth grade when the second Austin Powers came out, <laughs> which was like the perfect age for it. And I don't know if I have ever found something as funny as I did when I was in sixth grade and there's the scene where they're in the tent and you can just see the silhouette and she's like pulling the rope out and like this, the... the uh, the um oh, what do you call it? The fire extinguisher goes off and like she pulls out like a gerbil and stuff. I mean, come on, that was gold.
1: Oh yeah, it was great.
3: So yeah. Um do you have anything else to offer us before we close out for the evening?
1: Uh I think if you could indulge this for a second. So yep. I think last week we talked about uh kind of like the teams that we thought were disappointing or or the worst teams in the league. Um let's quickly revisit this because the Redskins looked so bad last week. Uh and of course I think the Bengals were on bye but they look bad basically anytime that they play. Yep. Uh and uh and then of course the Giants are in contention there. Uh, the Dolphins are in contention to be the worst team, even though like they are playing pretty hard. Um, who do you think is the the worst team in the league right now or the worst couple of teams? And what would you do to try to rebuild them? Oh, boy,
3: that's a great question. I I, I think that we can rule out the Dolphins because it's unclear to what extent they could be better if they tried. Um. The Redskins seem like the obvious answer uh, to some extent, but uh, gosh, I you almost, think they are
1: worse than the Bengals?
3: Uh, no, I was going to come back and say I actually think it's the Bengals. Yeah, as far as what they can do to make things better, um, well, it's kind of late. They already missed the window on trying to move AJ Green, right? Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I really don't know what they can do besides. <laughs> I, I have I don't have any good answer. I would say clean house, but I don't know if that's really going to help things. Um, I guess they have to just basically try to start off by securing a quarterback, but I don't really think that's the approach I would really take if I were like a GM and sitting down trying to fix this team.
1: Really? So you don't think you would take I mean, they're it looks like right now they have a very good chance of having the number one pick. Um, you don't think that if you had the number one pick, you would go for a quarterback right away?
3: Well, I guess it actually does work out well in the context that they will have that first pick. Um, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to see, I'd have to evaluate this quarterback class. I wouldn't be opposed to trying to trade that pick and make things work, which I know this sounds crazy, but for me, lots of times, I really question if it makes sense to go for the quarterback, because you have such a low probability of really hitting on that passer that if I were really trying to rebuild a team, I think I would start by trying to build a strong offensive defensive line, get my team into better condition and then make a move for a more proven passer.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, because I think if you if you do it that way, maybe your team still sucks enough to where you can get a rookie passer uh, in the first round next year, or maybe your team is good enough and you can, uh, like sign someone or trade for someone who's kind of like a, a discarded, uh, veteran. And with a good enough team around him, you can maybe still make something happen. Kind of like, um, I don't know, like Case Keenum a couple of years ago with the Vikings, something like that. Um, for the Redskins, there's going to be a quarterback there that they can take if they want, assuming they have the number two pick, um, would you, if, if you were the owner or the general manager, however, it is that you had a, a role to make decisions in that organization, would you move on from, uh, Dwayne Haskins or would you want to keep him, give him another chance? And, uh, cause he's started only two games, give him another chance and maybe draft, like, uh, the best defensive lineman in the class or something like that.
3: Yeah, I think I probably would do that. And it's really hard at this point to know what you have in Haskins. But likewise, any player that you're probably going to be bringing in to replace, I think it's going to be hard to make a case that you have substantially that the information that you have you're able to substantially say that that player is that much better than Haskins. Um of course, this could change and what we see from Haskins through the rest of the season, but are you really maximizing your odds or, or really shifting things significantly that you're going to have the quarterback? I'm not sure that you are, especially because Haskins did have such a strong profile coming out of school in my opinion, granted, not as strong as Kyler Murray, but it was a pretty good profile that I'd rather start it, it, this is a team that has a, an abundance of other needs, so I would be fine foregoing the quarterback and trying to um improve the team in other areas?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair um all right that's that's all I got
3: yeah I mean I don't know did you have any better thoughts on 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 any of these teams
1: uh I think I'm relatively where you are but I mean I think the Bengals have to take a quarterback um just in terms of even like fandom because like that's the thing I never really want to think about in terms of like franchise building but yeah uh like perception is an important thing okay
3: but I have the answer for the I have the answer here this is what you do right You bring in Marcus Mariota, knowing it's not going to make any difference, but that might, and you can probably get him now at a reduced price, that might drum up some enthusiasm.
1: No. (laughs) No. No one is going to be, no fan is going to be excited about bringing in Marcus Mariota. Like At that point, you might as well just keep Andy Dalton.
3: Johnny Manziel? No, that's horrible. Tim Tebow? Bring back Tim Tebow. Uh,
1: No. That will drum up
3: some enthusiasm.
1: No, it it would be the opposite of enthusiasm. I mean, I think also one of the big questions is do they keep Zach Taylor or not? Um, Like, what is his role in this incredible tank job that the Bengals have done? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, if you go back to week one of the season where they almost beat Seattle in Seattle, like that was really impressive. And like for one week, it looked like, wow, like and they didn't even have A.J. Green. But, you know, they got a whole bunch of production to Tyler Boyd and John Ross and, you know, like Andy Dalton maybe could be a Jared Goff type of player in this offense. And like in the worst of ways, he has been Goff like um, I, I just I don't know what to do. Like, I, I think Zach Taylor deserves to be fired but of course I never really thought he deserved to be hired so <laughs> i mean you know so i mean that's that's where i am on this but uh yeah I, I think it would be hard for them not to take a quarterback even if they get um the best defensive lineman in the class and and maybe it helps in that that guy is an ohio state player so mm-hmm. people in cincinnati could at least like be like okay we got we got a local guy um but I I don't know. I still think you got to go with a quarterback.
3: Well, that is something that we'll be able to uh to ponder more um and in- boy pretty soon we are going to be in draft uh, already be in draft mode um as far as coverage on the site goes so yeah pretty soon that will be a conversation for us to have but until then um as always thanks for listening that's gonna do it for today's show please rate review and subscribe to the podcast follow us on twitter at dave and at matt the and until next time remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it